Previously in Acts, what we've been seeing in this book is this movement of God through the church that turns around history and the known world. It is a movement of God that spans the globe, that crosses cultures. And Acts tells us how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, takes a small band of Jesus' followers and transforms them into world-shaping people. And so they go out with the gospel, and that movement of the gospel defined cultures. It informed education and medicine. It provided foundations for law, for human dignity, for human rights. It changed personal narratives of people. It, it, it trans, has transformed billions of people. And that whole movement, we read about the origins of it in Acts. Acts is sort of the origin story of the church. Now, in the first half of Acts, which we've previously covered, we see the Spirit of Jesus taking this group of believers, forming them into a community, shared life together as they witnessed to Jesus Christ. But now in chapter 13, we're going to read a portion of that. Now in chapter 13, it's, it's, it's a pivot point in the book of Acts. Sort of the first half is the church in Jerusalem. It's growing. It's taking shape. The, the second half the church pivots out to the rest of the world. In the first half, we, we are focused in on Peter as like a big figure. In the second half, the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys turn out to be very significant things. And this is where we pick up the story. Now, before we have Scripture read, um, just to connect you that for the next three weeks, we're going to take the book of Acts and connect it to the theological vision of our church. At Knox Church, we're a community, we say three phrases, that is following Jesus, loving the city, and serving the world. That's who we are. This is our identity. This is our mission statement. This is what we believe God has called us to do. We're a community following Jesus, loving the city, serving the world. And all the particulars of our ministry flow out of those three key things. And what we're going to do today is look at Acts under that first one, following Jesus. To get us there, I'm going to invite Hannah Bloom to come forward and read Scripture for us. Acts chapter 13. You can find that in your Bibles. You need that mic? Today's reading is from Acts 13, verses 1 to 3, found on page 1091. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we've heard just a small little snippet of Scripture. We pray that it would speak a big word in our lives, so attune our ears and our hearts to your life-giving voice. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. To follow Jesus is probably the simplest and, and at the same time, the most profound way to describe what a Christian is, to follow Jesus. 
This is the central goal for us as a church, for any church. It is to cultivate, to disciple followers of Christ. Because here's the thing, we all follow someone or something. Everyone in this world follows someone or something. Maybe it's a a cultural thinker. Maybe it's one of your professors whose ideas captured you. Perhaps it's a celebrity, a sports star. Maybe it's an ideology. But we all follow and are shaped by someone or something. So why follow Jesus? You would give your life, and we do that, to following Jesus Christ, but you are convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Christians follow Jesus Christ because we are convinced that he is not only the smartest human being who ever walked the face of the earth. He is not only the teacher of the world's greatest wisdom. He is not only the most humane compassion ever seen for the broken and the marginalized. He is not only the fiercest advocate for justice, the most gracious friend of sinners. A Christian follows Jesus Christ because that first century Jewish laborer was also the son of God. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, the one who went to a cross, who suffers for us, giving his life, God Almighty, giving his life for your sake and mine. He is the long-awaited king of the world. We follow Jesus because he is the one who has faced death full on. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the light of the world. He is the judge and ruler of history. He is the Lord over all things. And because that is who Jesus is, we follow Jesus not just as a Sunday hobby, you know, not just something we do for one day. We follow Jesus in all of our lives. We follow him as bankers and plumbers, as moms and managers, as artists and students. We follow Jesus in our offices, in our workshops, on factory floors and at film festivals, in neighborhoods and online. To be a Christian is not just to be a believer in certain things about God, certainly that, but to follow Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? I think it's important for us to ask that question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because I think social media has um, tended to redefine what following means for us. Following Jesus, is it, is it like following someone on Twitter or Instagram yeah, Jesus has the best memes, you know. He, I, I like every picture he posts. Is that what it is to follow Jesus? Not a bit of it. <laughs> Not a bit of it at all. What does it mean then to follow Jesus? The word follower is really the word disciple, and disciple means a student. Not, not a student like some of you are, a student who goes to lectures, who takes exams, but more like an apprentice, an apprentice carpenter, an apprentice electrician, uh, someone who walks with a master and, and learns the skills and the ways and the knowledge that this master have. An apprentice is someone who's learning new habits, new ways of thinking, new muscle memory forms as they learn new skills from this master. This is what being a disciple, a follower of Jesus is. It is ordering and organizing your entire life around Jesus Christ. It is arranging your schedule. It is arranging your priorities, your heart, your habits around the way of Jesus. 
And that takes practice. To follow Jesus is, is practicing the way of Jesus. You know, it's not just a set of ideas that Jesus introduces us to. It's a way of life, eternal life. It's interesting that the name for Christians, the earliest recorded name for Christians that we have in the book of Acts is people of the way. People who belong to the way because Jesus is the way of life, the way to eternal life, but also he's the way of living where real life gets experienced and known. And so we practice the way of Jesus. This is, in fact, how Jesus framed what it means to follow him. It's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out this manifesto for what kingdom life is all about, Jesus, at the beginning, at the end, talks about practices. For instance, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then at the very end, in 7 verse 24, again, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, not just hears, but puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Following Jesus is about practicing, living out his way. I love how one philosopher, Dallas Willard, who uh, taught at the University of Southern California, he puts it this way. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs, the greatest issue is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. This is what we are about here at Knox, practicing the way of Jesus, steadily learning how, learning from Jesus, how we might live this life of God's kingdom into every corner of our existence, our city's existence, this world. And in this brief passage from Acts we read this morning, we get a surprisingly rich picture of what it means to follow Jesus. It's so brief, but it's actually densely packed. We see three critical elements here of what it means to follow Jesus. What this passage shows us is that following Jesus is to be with Jesus, and it is to increasingly become like Jesus, and then it is also to be with Jesus on his mission, to do what Jesus did. Three things we see. So here in Acts, the church, what we see is they've moved out of Jerusalem. Through a persecution that's happened, the church is scattered abroad in different places. God is pushing and moving the church. And so now in a city called Antioch, which was at that time in Syria, now it's southern Turkey, uh, a church begins to form. And in chapter 13, in that church in Antioch, we get a picture of what a normal community of Jesus' followers looks like, functions like, smells like. We read, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. There were prophets and teachers, people with different gifts, spiritual gifts, prophecy, teaching. They were building up the body of Christ. Just as a quick little sidebar, as we walk through Acts, it's easy for us to skate by, you know, something like that. But we probably need to just press the pause button and stop and say, prophets and teachers, um, the power of the Holy Spirit gets released in a variety of different gifts. And we need those gifts in the church, the full variety of those gifts. And we need to ask ourselves, how are we encouraging 
all the gifts of the Spirit among us for this church, even the ones we're not too sure about, even the ones that we might feel a little uncomfortable about. But back to this text. So take note of how the church is functioning. While they were worshiping the Lord, fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. This is a picture of a church in communion with God. Disciples simply being with Jesus. How? Through practices. Through the practices of Jesus. Through worship. Fasting. Later on we read how they were giving themselves to the practice of prayer. The church is experiencing this living communion with God. They are with Jesus, hearing the voice of the Spirit through these simple practices by which they encounter the living, risen Jesus. This, this is the primary impulse of a follower of Jesus. It is not to get something from Jesus. It is not to see what sort of benefit Jesus can provide for my life. It is to be with Jesus. Because the best part of following Jesus is Jesus. And that communion with the living God happens through the practices of Jesus. Here's something we need to drill just deep down into our hearts and minds. Communion with God doesn't magically happen. It's not this shazam sort of moment. You know, this esoteric knowledge by which suddenly we come to a new realization. The living conversation, the living relationship with Jesus where the Spirit speaks to us and addresses us happens through practices in community. And what's striking to see throughout Acts is how this is the repeated pattern, how the disciples were encountered by the living God as they lived out these practices. Acts 2, 46, 42 to 46, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were done. As they, lit, as they followed these basic practices, they experienced the sense of awe of God's presence among them. Acts 4, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Again, in this context of this practice of prayer, God's Spirit comes and speaks. Acts 9, interesting story. A man named Ananias is called to pray, and as he's praying, he's given a vision, instruction from the Spirit of God about a man named Saul, who was at the same time praying, and God gives him a vision about how those two lives come together. Acts 10, a very similar pattern happens. It's Cornelius who's at prayer and receives a vision and instruction from God. And there's the Apostle Peter who is at time praying and receives a vision from God at those, that same time. God gives them direction. Do you see this repeated pattern? These practices, these holy habits, they are the places where we meet God. They're, you can almost say that they're these guaranteed places of encounter with God where we are with Jesus. One writer calls them that these habits and practices are um, habitations of the Spirit. They are the ordinary, concrete places where the power of the Holy Spirit and the transformative of grace, gr grace of God, flows so freely. So at the beginning of this year, ask yourself, do you want to experience, do you want to encounter the living God to know his presence with you? Do you want to be with the risen Jesus, knowing his life, his presence? 
It is through living these practices of Jesus that we experience this. These practices include things like reading and meditating on Scripture, daily immersing yourself in that Word of God. There's so many voices clamoring for our attention, but we slow down and we listen for the voice of God in Scripture. Or prayer, again, where we are turning our attention towards the presence of God with us. Worshiping God, gathering together as God's people, fasting and feasting, silence, solitude. The practice of Sabbath, where we rest from all our work. Practice of simplicity, of service. You know, a little later this year, in January, we're going to walk through these practices in a far more intentional, more detailed way. And I'm looking forward to that. We can only just sketch over some of those right now. But it is through those practices that Jesus, through His Spirit, meets us, where we experience communion with the living God. This is at core of what it means to follow Jesus, practicing the presence of God. I love, again, what Dallas Willard writes about this. He says, the first and most basic thing that we can and must do is keep God before our minds. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of practicing, we may be challenged by our, our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God or distracted by a multitude of things other than God, but these are habits, not the law of gravity. They can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. This is how we learn to live with Jesus. It is, it's interesting. As we practice these, we are able to live wherever we are in the presence of God, It's almost like you're living in two places. So, you're on the subway, riding the subway, and it's packed on the morning commute, and yet, you're in the presence of God. You're washing dishes after dinner at the sink, and yet, you're in the presence of God as you meditate on His goodness. We learn how to live daily in the presence of God, being with Jesus. This is the first desire, the first impulse of any disciple, communion with God. So we see the church worshiping God, abiding with Jesus. And what we also see is the church in the process of becoming more like Jesus as well. This is a critical part of following Jesus, the second critical ailment, increasingly becoming like Jesus. Look at the list of names you see here in this passage. Five people are listed. It says there were prophets and teachers in that place, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who was brought up with Herod, and Saul. Now you might think, that's just a list of names. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But this is a list of people you need to recognize. This is a list of people who would not be found together in most any other circumstance of life. First, you have Barnabas. Okay, one of the apostles. Then you have Simon called Niger. He's called this likely because of his dark skin. Niger was a Latin word for black. He's an African. Then you have Lucius of Cyrene. It's a common Roman name. So here's someone who's been raised up in the Roman Empire. But Cyrene is what we now know as Libya. So he's North African. Then you have Menaean. Interestingly, note, the note on Menaean is that he was brought up with Herod. Now, not the Herod of chapter 11, but this is the Herod of Christmas. The Herod who uh, was so threatened by Jesus that he killed all the two-year-olds of that day and age. This is a pretty bloodthirsty guy. Menaean 
grew up with Herod. He was his buddy. He was sort of like a foster child in his home. He grew up in this place of power and privilege. And so what we see here among these is is this picture of, of a remarkable racial and cultural diversity in the church brought together by the power of the gospel. These people would never be found together socially, intellectually, culturally, yet it is the power of Jesus changing their lives, bringing them together in a community worshiping God. Think of how all the walls of division among those had to be removed and brought down. Think of the character, the the patience it took to understand and accept one another's cultural differences. Think of the love, the gentleness it took to overlook offenses. Think of the grace it took to set aside prejudices and pride. Only the gospel does that. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to become increasingly like Jesus, permeated with the the character of Christ, where, where the life and the character of Jesus begins to take shape in each one of us. This is the hope of transformation. It is possible in Christ. And again, those character qualities, again, this is, God doesn't just, boom, change you and you're brand new. It is through the acquisition of virtue by habits, the repeated practices as we learn to forgive others, as we love our enemies, as we learn what it is to bless those who persecute you, to, to be hospitable to those with whom you might differ radically from. Spiritual practices are the means by which God transforms and changes us so that we become like Jesus. And this being with Jesus and this becoming like Jesus always moves us towards being on mission with Jesus. This third critical element of what it means to follow Christ. To follow Jesus is to do what Jesus did to live for the sake of the world. Look here, in this community of followers, we see in Acts 13, who are practicing this way of Jesus together, and as they do that, it is the Spirit of God that speaks and sends them on mission. The Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So to live in communion with God you will always be on mission. We don't follow the way of Jesus, you know, for some private spiritual growth, for personal spiritual benefit. Those happen, those are good, but we practice the way of Jesus, the practices of of love, so that we may love God and our neighbor. To follow Jesus is always being a vital part of his mission. So we follow Jesus, we're we're joining in the work of Jesus, we're doing what Jesus called us to do. Now, for many of you, that's serving God in your workplace, doing your work that God has called you to, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's teaching school, whatever it is, it is doing work that images God, that reflects His goodness. It's also in the witness that you bear among your friends, your circle of acquaintances, God has sent you as a gospel influence, the way you conduct yourself, your life, your words. It's found in in how you love others, how you serve others, how you seek justice in the city. And 
it could be, and how God might send you out. Here it is God sending out some people into a mission that is removed from where they're at. Perhaps this is a year as you follow Jesus, you might hear a call from God sending you out on his mission somewhere. At Knox, we have a long history of celebrating God's mission and sending people out. Um, It's sort of catching. (laughs) So if you're here for long enough, you just might catch that, uh, this mission spirit about this place because it is the heart of who God is. But all of this good stuff happens as we organize our lives, as we arrange our lives around Jesus, where we live the practices of Jesus together so that we communion with God, so that we become like Christ, so that we learn to love our neighbors and our lives shine out with the beauty and the truth and the goodness of God. Here's the beauty of it. When God's people live these practices of Jesus, we will encounter the living God and our lives will be attuned and connected to the Spirit of God. And He will change us and He will use us. So in closing, here's what I want to urge you to do. This new season of life that we have together before us. First, can you commit to joining God's people in the practice of weekly worship? Right now, just sort of pin Sunday in your schedule and make this commitment. I am going to be there. It's a priority. This is where God's Spirit comes among us as we practice Sabbath and as we rest, as we worship together as God's people. Secondly, seriously consider home church. Home church is a small gathering of people that meet throughout the week across the city, and it's a place where we learn to live the way of Jesus, where we study Scripture together, where we pray for one another. Here's the thing. We need others to live and practice this way of Jesus. See, if you could have done this alone, you would have done it already. You would have, but you can't because we need others. We need to do this together. We practice in community. So find a home church to share life together. And then lastly, will you begin to pray about what one additional practice can I incorporate into my life? Perhaps your prayer life has been pretty quiet. Maybe it's a renewed commitment to daily prayer, regular Bible reading, maybe it's silence. Maybe your life is so busy, it's the practice of Sabbath, a week, a day of 24-hour rest. Which of these practices is God inviting you to incorporate into your life as a means by which His Spirit might deeper connect with you? It's through practicing the way of Jesus in community that we encounter the living God. May that be our experience throughout this year, experiencing this beautiful life to the full, the life that Jesus offers. It is hard, but it is beautiful, and all of us are invited to taste and see the goodness of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a passage, three tiny little verses, which can communicate so much about the life you call us to live. Thank you for the invitation of a lifetime that you give to us, God, to to live in communion with you. God, may we give ourselves in fresh ways to these practices. When we're doing them, it, it probably feels at times, God, sort of rote or routine, but remind us, God, that 
These are habitations of the Spirit. You are present. You meet us. You alert our our hearts to your living presence. God, we want to walk through our entire week before you in your presence. And so we pray we could cultivate this type of life that would result in that sort of living. Give us a renewed commitment, God, to these practices of Jesus this year. And may we experience your living presence and may you use our lives like we've never seen before. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.